good to have you folks with us this afternoon. It's good to have Pastor Webb and preaching for us this week. Appreciate his ministry in the past. Of course, one of our former pastors and friend and uh, a man that's been faithful. So, Pastor Webb, you come and give us what the Lord's laid in your heart. <clears throat> if you can still preach. Yes, sir. Well, I've already apologized for crying. But there's other, some other things I'm being forced to say. Uh, you know, I, how, how could you make so many mistakes in one time speaking? See, I said something about the Byler girls, ladies. I, had, I deeply apologize for that. There's some things that it's already too late to say. You're supposed to put web on any check that came in today, but uh, uh, it's already too late to remind you about that. Access for tomorrow. I mean, it's, oh, that was for today, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, let's see. I I didn't know that Jacqueline did that. I was every time I come here, the the decorations are tremendous. So you probably thought I was hyping my daughter, but actually I thought I was just complimenting all the, the ladies in the church that do the decorations. But So I stuck my foot in my mouth for that. But uh, let's see, uh, I should have listed these things. <laughs> um, I know there's others. <laughs> I do want to give a little sort of a testimony. I, uh, yeah, like I say, it. When the uh, uh, Francis came on the screen today, I started crying then. <laughs> and then, really, all I guess all through the morning message. But when I, I I've said this at Calvary before, I don't say it too often because I don't want to get too many amens. But when I came to Calvary, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I really didn't. I didn't know anything about being a pastor. I had observed church discipline once in a church that uh, I visited. I'd never been in a church that exercised church discipline before when I became a pastor. It wasn't too long, though, after I was there <laughs> that we had the first occasion. We had a few occasions when I came here. That's one of the most important doctrines in the Bible in the New Testament about the New Testament church, and it's virtually unknown. But... I am thankful that when I came to Calvary, I did believe that if we if we studied through the Bible and preached that the Lord would direct us, because I didn't already know, you know, what it meant to be a pastor. And when I came to the Lighthouse, I didn't know what I was doing here either. But I, I soon realized that the pulpit committee was not anywhere in the Bible, and so we had to work our way through that, and it looks to me like the Lord's done a pretty good job of directing us and giving you the right man to be your pastor, and, and you got good people. And that was all those, I, I think I probably did a number of things that uh, other, there are plenty of men that wouldn't, who wouldn't do the same things, but it was just because you folks Listen to the Bible. And did it like James says, or say it with meekness. 
And above and beyond the call of duty, he laughed at my jokes. I don't know what it is at Calvary, but nobody laughs at my jokes at Calvary. <laughs> well, I guess I do know what the problem is. <laughs> it's probably not the congregation, but I guess y'all humor me. Maybe everybody's so bad off here they had to laugh. I don't know. Uh, but I just, it's been a wonderful. Uh, Pastor Russ went to foundations. Uh, uh, got done, stuck in my mind. What's? Yeah, it was done. But the the man, uh, Spence, Doctor Spence, talked. He was talking about you know Christian experiment. And I think that's what Christianity has to be. You have to realize you you don't know everything. The fact is, Lonnie and I have talked about you don't know what you don't know. But as you learn, you've got to try to put it in practice. And uh, I hope Lighthouse will keep doing that. appreciate the testimonies this morning. I hope Calvary will keep doing that. Uh, how... You can be in your ministry all, you can be a pastor 60 years and still have a lot to learn. So, uh, our churches need to realize that. Uh, so, a lot of, a lot of joys. In fact, that, you know, <laughs> I was thinking just a little while ago, one of the, the highlights of when I was here was the day that, uh, Evan Francis called me and told me how I was doing everything wrong. <laughs> and the only reason I won that article is I could yell louder than he could. I mean, he was he was berserk, and I I about got that way myself. So it was a lot of interesting experiences. You know, Christian life's it's a it's a ride, you know. So I hope you're enjoying it. Today we're going to do uh, this afternoon or something. It's a little different from what I normally preach, but if you'll find two passages, Matthew chapter five and Matthew chapter four, I do. I want to thank you for the food too. That was that was tremendous. I'm serious about the decorations and stuff. It's all they're always done really nicely, and I I do love that. That's just a good thing to remember. To him be glory in the church. That's what we ought to come for. Matthew. Then I say Acts four, Matthew five, and Acts four. And we're going to start in chapter Matthew chapter five. The first 12 verses of Matthew 5 are part of the Sermon on the Mount. They're called the Beatitudes. And it probably, as far as the spiritual character of what Christianity is all about, this, this passage would probably be the, the summarize what that state, the, the character of the Christian life. And so in Matthew 5, verse 1, it says, "...and seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain..." And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you, and shall persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And if you go to uh, Acts chapter 4, Uh, this chapter, just to kind of keep us from having to read so much, um, Peter and John were arrested, and they asked him about it, Sanhedrin, and Peter entered his, entered his sermon to them in verse 10, or his reply to them, Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, and you could actually see him pointing his hand, possibly his finger at them, just that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven whereby, among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And, it, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest unto all them that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. That means they would deny it if they could have. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they, may, that they speak henceforth no more in his, this name. And they called him and commanded him not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Actually, this is about the time where their lawyer had been tempted and said, Wait a minute, don't, don't say anything right now. Just say that for later, but they didn't. Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than men, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. And being let go, they went to their own company, you know, their congregation, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord, and said, Lord, Thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. By the way, they're not reading a, a prayer here together. 
They were all praying in agreement. They were all in one accord about this. You know, it's hard to be a, get a Baptist church everybody's in accord. There'd be no divisions among them. But Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, you need to have the same mind. You need to think the same way. You need to be unified. And probably the time, you hope the time at least where you're most unified is when you're under attack. That's a, that's a bad time to be divided. These folks were all in one accord there in verse 24 and said, Lord, Thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of Thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers, of the, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth against Thy holy child Jesus, whom Thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak, excuse me, speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the Lord of thy holy child Jesus. So God was confirming uh, the change from Old Testament, New Testament to the Jews. That's the reason for these miracles were done and they eventually passed off out, out of, you know, not r rarely happening now, but uh, when it w went beyond the Jews, went to other parts of the world, the, the miracles, the sign gifts pretty much passed off the scene. Verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And multitudes of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common, and with great power the apostles gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Um, message this afternoon is titled, This is What We Live For. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for these, these two churches. Thank you for the way you've worked in our lives. Thank you for the way you've worked in our families. Thank you for the things that uh, Lighthouse has rejoiced in today. Rejoiced in the truth of your word. And uh, rejoiced in your direction, your provision. And working in our lives. Thank you for the fellowship today. <clears throat> and I pray, Father, that you would speak to us about this very common, very definite theme in the Word of God and uh, sanctify us, edify us, prepare us to be Your servants, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, some of you will remember this, but about, about three years ago, um, Pastor Kevin Jones over there in Krasnoyarsk, Russia, uh, received a phone call from a man 
who said he was an officer with the Department of Immigration and that he wanted to meet the next day with uh, Pastor Jones. I think it was on Thursday. And uh, this guy called after work hours. He didn't give his full name, didn't tell his position or anything like that. Uh, He gave an address that was not connected with immigration, but it was near a detention center. And he told uh, Brother Jones that he wouldn't need any of his documents, such as his passport or anything like that. And after they hung up, Pastor Jones tried to call him right back and nobody answered. Uh, After the call, Pastor Jones became a little uneasy. And he talked with two lawyers, talked with his deacons. Of course, they're, they're both Russians. And he decided not to go to the meeting. And he and Jessica also decided that they um, would keep their children inside their apartment for a couple of days, 48 hours, something like that. Wouldn't answer any calls from numbers they didn't know, telephone numbers. And he, he planned to go to church on that Sunday, fully anticipating that there would be government officials in the congregation, which is, is not that un- uncommon of a thing, particularly when they were a few years back it was even more common then but um, he didn't go to the meeting on Friday and he said they had great services on Sunday and on Monday he sent this report out he said today This will, this will pass by in a minute or two. He said, today, I got another call from the De- Department of Immigration, and this time was from the office where I have fa- filed most of my paperwork from an, expe- from an inspector that I know. She asked me to come into their office tomorrow, which was Tuesday at 2 p.m. She said they had lost one of my annual reports proving my continued residency status in the Russian Federation. She asked me to bring the original, in so they could copy it. I called the attorney, Andre, who worked, who uh, used to work in that same office, and he said, something's up. So I'm going to go into the, this is what he's writing to us, pastors. He said, so I'm going into the lion's den tomorrow at 2. Andre is going to meet me at my house and is going with me. So and then when Pastor Jones went to the meeting on Tuesday afternoon, they didn't allow his lawyer to go in. And uh, they made Pastor Jones lay his phone on the table away from him. Uh, he said that two men from the FSB, that's just a change in the words from KGB. He said two men from the FSB questioned Pastor Jones and told him they knew where his money came from. They knew where he traveled. They knew how he used his time, and uh, Pastor Jones found out that they'd been taping all of his conversation between uh, his phone, his phones and Jessica's phones. And it, so I was, like other pastors, people that received that, I was thinking about this, praying about it. And I, I just figured out you know, it must be um, some government agents intended to kind of try to intimidate him or something like that to leave, try to get him to leave, you know, pack up and go home or maybe 
take some legal action against him. Uh, because it had been just a year before where they tightened down all these restrictions on evangelism. Uh, and the American pastor in Oriole, which is a city, I think it's about six hours away, if I remember correctly, they had arrested him. Um, some of that may be because he wasn't particularly careful, but nevertheless, Pastor Jones went over there and preached for them a number of times with that church while their, after their pastor left. And so I, you know, as I prayed about it, I not only thought about Pastor Jones, but um, about what Jessica and the kids might be thinking and going through. Uh, they, it had been a rough year. All right, about eight months they've had they'd had trouble all in the church, not with people outside the church, but inside the church. And uh, so now they're probably anticipating, you know, their husband, their dad's going to be arrested. And, you know, I think about all the parents, wherever you are in the world, who uh, try to live holy lives and try to uh, govern their families by the Bible, rear their kids by the Bible. We, we have a special challenge um, for our, with our children. You know, they don't have any close friends a lot of times. Nobody's like them. Um, a lot of times ostracized by relatives and other young people. But that's true, but I think for the pastors, the children of pastors and missionaries, it's uh, they probably especially feel that way. They're outcasts and weird. Some of them are weird, but uh, not any, not Brother Bowers or mine or anything, but or the rest. Just some of the others, you know. Uh, and they're made fun of by the people, that kind of thing. But for many young people and their parents, that's more than they can take. And so they shrink back from standing for the Lord. A lot of them actually become bitter. And they court the friendship of the world. And Paul, of course, and others in the Bible experience this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul writes, apparently the last, last letter, at least we should say the last Bible letter that he ever wrote, This thou knowest that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Timothy knew who they were. In chapter 4, that letter is his for Demas hath forsaken me, as fellow missionary. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed into Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia. And then later in that chapter, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord rewarded him according to his works. Of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. In my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. That's the second time. Already in chapter 1, he said, all that are in Asia turned away from me. What do you think about that? 
What would you think about a pastor in the United States that everybody turned against him? You know, many Christian parents dread this for their children. They dread their children being treated differently or having a difficult time or, you know, they're afraid their children will be shunned because of their they dress funny. They don't listen to the world's music, other standards, you know, that are people just think they're just plain odd, stupid. But actually if you just go back into general American society of sixty years ago, they were common in the general public. And of course if the parents feel this way, they too will eventually shrink back from holding fast to the commands of the Word of God. And when our children, I don't know, for us, we sent our kids to Christian school, but we told them regularly uh, that we didn't care what they thought at the school. We hope they did stand out because we were not impressed with what we saw there. And that we hope that they would they were praying that they'd never be ashamed of the Bible. But what will we do when they come to arrest us for saying the sodomites or perverts are going to burn in hell? This guy in England, they're trying to run out of the nation of Israel, I mean, out of England, for saying something like that. What will your family do when either one of these churches come under public scrutiny because we say that, that Muslims and liberal Protestants are condemned of God for their religion? I mean, it would be a little different service if you know, they came in right after the service, right before the service, and arrest your pastor. Um, what will we do when people in our church are fired or sued or simply given the gospel to somebody at work? Well, I know what we should do. It says we should rejoice. That's the nature of genuine Christianity. Out of 12 verses about the character of Christianity, Three of them, one-fourth of them, deal with that very aspect of rejoicing under persecution. Because God, who is our Creator, and who is our Savior, Jesus Christ, humbled Himself and took on Him the nature, the body of a man, and bore the filth of our sins and died in our place, the greatest earthly privilege that we could have would be to suffer for Him. And the opportunity to show Him our love by our faithfulness and our obedience and self-practice, that's what we live for. I say that, but the question is, do we? Because this is the this is the nature of genuine Christianity. So basically, we're just going to kind of look at some scripture. It's not going to be a lot of common 
uh, commentary on it, but I want us to think about this challenge of our earthly derision. Jesus told us this over and over. He told His disciples this. If we choose to be His disciples, we would have a tough path to follow. And one of the main things He said over and over is that we would be hated by close friends and family. Turn over to Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to ask you to turn a lot. Some I'll read, but a lot of them I'm going to ask you to turn. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. Matthew 10.16 Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, you've got to think about that from a sheep's viewpoint. That is not a comfortable situation to be in. Sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. They will scourge you in their synagogues. I mean, you're talking about whipping you in a church service. And you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brothers shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that doeth to the end shall be saved. Verse 24, The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, this basically means the lord of the flies, how much more shall they call them of his household? In John chapter 15, if you'll turn, well, I'll read that to you. John 15, the verses are 18 through 21. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will, all, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. And simple statement in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. And yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. No mistake about it. No. Uh, my mother told me once, and they had a discussion going through the... They had these you know, booklets for study in Sunday school. Uh, they came to this the Beatitudes, and they were covering this part of that persecution, and the lady was teaching that day, said to her Sunday school class, how many of you, let's, let's all contribute, you know, a lot of sharing, you know, and those kind of things. Uh, tell about something you suffered for the Lord. And they all kind of sat there and looked around, and finally some lady said, well, one time I, I told a group of ladies I was going to golf with that I couldn't golf on Sunday, and said they all got upset at me. That's, that's American 
persecution, suffering. It's bad, isn't it? This is a theme that you can't escape in the New Testament. And Jesus made it clear that if we expected to be His disciples, and if we followed Him, that we were making the choice to suffer for Him. That's, that's what He says here. Again, Matthew 10, look at verse what is it, 24 and 25. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant is his Lord. If they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more they call him of his household. And uh, over in chapter thir- uh, verse 32 and all the way down to verse 39. Of course, we looked at some of these this morning. Verse 39, He that findeth his life shall lose it. He that loseth my life... My- his life for my sake shall find it. And there's this, there's a challenge to us. Uh, everybody recognizes that, that everybody wants to be loved. We want people to like us. We want them to think well of us. And he says, if you follow the Lord, that's not going to happen. It, it will happen. But you can expect the opposite to be true. So it's the challenge of earthly derision. But of course, the reason for it is the redemption by divine sacrifice. We're talking about the Lord of glory. We talk about having glory in the church. But just get out of here. And we're in a sort of a city environment. You know, we're not in the heart of the city, but nothing uglier than cities. But if you just get out and ride around, look at the trees and just the clouds and everything. Uh, my mom's 93. She repeats herself a lot, but we were coming on a trip Friday. And she just, on the way home, look at those beautiful white clouds. There they are, they're marvelous. Something as simple as a cloud. You know, probably tons of water up there that's floating. You ever think about that? How much water is in a cloud and it's floating in the sky? The Lord's glory is everywhere. He's the Creator. He's the Almighty God. And it says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but it made Himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashions of man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What a terrible death. Not only the greatest pain, but humiliation, the mocking and so forth. Isaiah chapter 52 says that his... Visage, his appearance was more marred than any man. It says there too that it pleased God to bruise him. It says that his justice was satisfied. In, you know, chapter three suffered for us. Matthew twenty-seven gives. It doesn't make a big show out of it like the movie did, the Passion of Christ or whatever. Which I didn't see that, but. It, You just read what the Lord went through. And those 
If you, if you think well about religion, just go back and read what they said and did to him. The high priest, the Levites, those people came by and mocked, at, mocked him. He suffered for the sins that we committed. You're, that you committed. That I committed. And we owe Him our love. We owe Him our loyalty. Our lives. We owe Him our complete obedience. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let me read verses 14 and 15. It says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto them which did, for, unto him which died for them and rose again. You know, we, we got this thing in our thinking as Americans: retirement time, where I hope I've got some money to save so I can do some of the things I've always wanted to do. We ought to live for Him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, it says this, know, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Titus 2, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that dying, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You know, peculiar, really the idea of the word, the old word is that you belong to somebody. It's like special to you or whatever, but... If you're special to the Lord, you're definitely going to be peculiar the way we use that word. You're going to be different from everybody else. And just think how strange that is, how wrong that is. All the world ought to love God. We ought to be living for Him. It shouldn't just be a few hands, a little handful. It's His creation. We belong to Him, and not only that, but the Lord has paid for the sins of all the lost too. We owe Him. And that's why to be able to suffer for Him ought to bring a great rejoicing to our lives. The greatest privilege, the greatest joy should be ours to suffer for Him. That's what it says in Matthew 5. Let's 
Can you, you still got it? Can you go back to Matthew 5, verse 10? Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed, happy are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. You know that's a command, right? Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Look, being mocked for Jesus is a badge of honor. You know, we have a president, in my opinion, in the time that I've lived, he's, he's the most courageous, he's one of the most courageous men I've ever seen. Um, he doesn't back down, he doesn't care what anybody says about him. I mean, he tweets, you know, <laughs> and he gives him a hard time. And yet, nobody, hardly anybody will stand up for him. I think there's going to be millions of people that vote for him. They would never tell anybody. We shouldn't be that way for the Lord. We ought to be glad to stand up for him. I don't know what kind of hat we'd get. MAGA wouldn't work, but, you know. And I'm not that big on wearing t-shirts, but I think our mouths ought to be open and our lives ought to stand with the Lord and stand up for His Word and the truths in it and so forth. In Acts 16, they were thrown in Barnabas. Is it Barnabas? Silas? It's Barnabas. Paul and Silas. There is Silas. The two of them together. They're in prison in a stinking, rotten, nasty filth-filled prison. It wasn't like our prisons here in the United States. And they've been beaten. They've got wounds. And they're singing hymns to God and rejoicing. In Romans 5, verse 3, it says this, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. In Philippians 1, verse 29, it says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, But rejoice insomuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. After all that thing was over with Pastor Jones, he wrote this, We serve a great God. I have known for a long time that I am here in Russia only as long as He wants me here. I'm willing to stay in my, to my last breath, but I haven't really settled in my heart that possibility that I might be forced to leave. However, I know that no man forces anything with God. 
So something does happen, it will be God's hand closing one door and demonstrating that He is going to open another. To Him be glory. He is my shepherd. And I rest in Him. And then just shortly after that, He sent, this is just between me and Him, but He said, having a great time in the Lord. He has made Himself very real in the past few days and honestly in the past few months. I could never handle all this without Him. I'm sitting with my cup of coffee. That helps, Danny Howard. Sitting with my cup of coffee in this morning and really enjoying a peaceful time with the Lord. Still, every day it seems that I want more. I want more of Him. More time. More closeness. More fellowship. More. Do you rejoice in the privilege of sacrificing for your Savior? What about you parents? Your kids go through some hard times because they're a Christian? That shouldn't upset us. We shouldn't get offended about that. You know, I think, praise God, I've got a child that's going through this. They have the opportunity to grow. They have the opportunity to prove themselves. They have the opportunity to grow in their faith. They have the opportunity to actually decide who are they going to love and live for. And I'm going to tell you something. Until they face some of those things, you don't know what's in their hearts. And I'm thankful for the mercy of the Lord in working in our churches. But we need to set some good examples. And show that we're not only willing to suffer, but that we rejoice in suffering for our Savior.